be using the message version this morning, uh, which is okay. It's not heresy. Eugene Peterson uh, is a very well-equipped man of faith, but there's, there's just some ways that Eugene writes that I think for us, and, and the whole reason he wrote uh, the translation of the message was uh, he was pastoring his church, and he thought, man, like, I, how, how can we even bring the scripture out in a way that uh, for us, for our culture, our day and age, uh, can connect a little bit different? So uh, that's why we're going to use it, because I believe the way that he writes is, is really incredible. So if you want to open up your phone and pull out that translation, uh, that would be great. Last week, we were in Romans chapter 3. Brandon uh, brought an incredible word with, with this idea of that we are not okay. And, and in essence, though, how, how realizing that we are not okay is actually great news. Because what we see is that because we are not okay, thanks be to God for Jesus, that through Jesus, and through faith alone, and if you're taking notes this morning, and I, I, would, I would start here, that faith is simply the conviction and the belief in who Jesus is and what he did. And so Brandon taught that through faith, Jesus didn't just come and deal, uh, or didn't just come and kind of do away with your sin criminal record, if you will. He didn't just come and, and put it to the side, and he didn't just come uh, and dismiss it, but he came and on the cross, he dealt with it. Like he paid the cost for uh, the, the punishment that we deserve. If you guys have ever been in any criminal trouble, you know that when the price uh, gets marked for what you have to pay or the time that has to be served, uh, that's a weighty thing. And that for us, the penalty for our sin would be death. It would be complete separation from God forever. And because of Jesus... And because of what Jesus did, and he dealt with that sin, he gave an answer for it, that through faith in Jesus, through faith in this conviction and belief that what he did for us, uh, one, really happened, but two, is what ultimately saves us, that only through faith uh, are we saved. Only through faith are we reconciled with God. And so now we get to, to chapter 4, and we're, we're going we're gonna to see Paul's going to shift gears a little bit. So in light now of faith is the, the deciding factor, if you will, for salvation, what do we do with our good deeds? What do we do with our obedience? What do we do with uh, even the, the religious acts of a culture that have become so accustomed to us? So before I get into this, I'd love for us to pray. Um, and if you're willing or able, I, I would invite you, the more I study in scripture, the more I spend time with the Lord, I am uh, overly convinced that God's people, when they step into a place of worship, it is done uh, on our knees. It is done in this worshipful posture to God. Remember studying into this, and, and it's almost this idea that when we get down on our knees in prayer and worship, it's this physical reminder to our body and heart that we are in submission to our God. Uh, that, that yes, he is like uh, a friend, yes, he is like our father, but he is also God creator. And so if you're willing and able, I, I would invite you just to get on your knees with me as we uh, just step into a place of, of prayer this morning, asking God to come. And so, Lord, we are so thankful that we get to come and worship you. We are so thankful uh, that, that you did make a way for us to, to be with you and that you are not still reserved in temples and tabernacles, but uh, you reside in this space with us. 
And so, God, will you clear distractions? Will you open up our hearts and minds to hear from you in a new way? Lord, I yield to you for you to say what you once said, Lord, and help us to walk out of here forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Our culture loves to keep score. Our culture has, has this incredible desire uh, to measure everything and to keep score of everything. We have uh, scoreboards that we will work uh, a lifetime for. I've spent many, many years of my life, day in and day out, training for the couple days a week when we would hope that this scoreboard, uh, scoreboard would bend in our favor a little bit. There are some grown men in this room who will go to work on Mondays uh, change based on what their team's scoreboard says, either on a Saturday or a Sunday. Uh, I, I work with Monroe Area Football. We have had, unfortunately, some scoreboards uh, not go in our favor the last few weeks, and that can drive so much of our culture, right? It drives our emotions. Uh, in business, we use metric sheets, and we use uh, profit and loss to, to measure how successful our business is. I remember I, I pulled this slide, and I was like, I don't know if that's a successful business or not. I'm not really uh, probably well-equipped to read profit and loss sheets as much as some of you guys, but it looks like they're, they're probably in the plus. But we use profit and loss. We use metric sheets. We want to measure the success of our business. We think that if these numbers are uh, a certain way, then, then it validates us if whether or not we are uh, doing well or if we're not doing well. Uh, we love to keep score with each other. Uh, whether that would be coworkers, whether that would be uh, family, whether that would be friends, we we have this desire. Uh, I would say, especially now, dare I say, with social media, uh, we love to keep score. We compare ourselves. We 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 want to see how well we measure up to somebody else. And unfortunately, I think we even keep score with the ones who we love the most and who we probably shouldn't uh, be keeping score of. It's sad, isn't it? At least we got two guys. Like that's better. That's better than. Uh, that's better than being uh, six to nothing. But because we always measure, because we got this desire to keep score, we somehow believe that when those numbers, uh, when they are shifted in a certain direction, then it validates me as successful. Right? Like when, when the scoreboard is a certain way, when the metric sheet looks a certain way, then, then the way that the numbers lie proves my worth. It proves that I'm good enough. It proves that I'm, I'm worthy of praise. It proves that I'm worthy of a raise and whatever the case may be. And I struggled with this for a long time. I've played uh, sports from the time I was four years old up until my early 20s. And I, and I was reflecting even on, on just those years uh, in the last couple of weeks preparing for this and thinking about, man, like just the pressure of having to perform day in and day out. Whether that was in high school, and then you get to college and the stakes are a little bit higher, and then I was able to play professionally for a little while and the stakes are really high at that point and, and your, your paycheck depends on it and the ability to continue to play is literally hinged uh, daily. And so just there was this pressure each and every day of performing. And I feel like I've got, I've got to perform. And I just had this pressure that was always on me. And I remember actually when I got done playing, the, the realization of not having to perform anymore was this like breath of fresh air. 
Uh, and then I got done playing and I went into sales because I just couldn't help but want to perform a little bit more. So I was like, I've got I've to hit a quota now. Like I want to get married and my wife and I don't have a dollar in the bank. And, and so naturally went into sales. And so uh, just there was a, a period of time to where just the stress and, and, and whether you love sales or whether you don't, there's this, this kind of cloud that lingers of you've got to hit certain numbers, right? And what the Lord has begun to show me and what he's begun to have to really work out of me even over the last year is that if we are not careful, the way that we measure ourselves against others, the way that we perform, the way that we try to validate ourselves through success can begin to then lead into the way that we follow Jesus. It can begin to then be the lens in which we view God, believing that I have to prove myself to be good enough. If measuring is all that we do, then I'll begin to believe that it's only by the way that I do good things, it's only by the way that I impress God, that then He sees me as successful. Because naturally, it's the only way that we see ourselves as successful. Even the disciples in Matthew chapter 18, they, they come to Jesus and they say, who is the greatest among us? <laughs> like We've got these guys who are, who are literally walking with God in flesh, and they begin to bicker behind him. And they're like, okay, you've been, you've been hanging out with us. You've been with us. You've been watching us. Out of us, who is greatest? Who's earned it? Who, who, who's the stud amongst us, Jesus? And I think I find a little bit of comfort in that, realizing at least we're in good company when, when we realize that we've got this over-desire uh, to perform. Shifting gears now a little bit. We all have heroes Right? Growing up, maybe even as an adult, we have heroes, whether that would be a father, uh, a mother, a grandparent, a, a celebrity of some sort. There is somebody in our life that we've thought, man, I look up to them. I want to model myself after them. I, I want to emulate my life and the practices of my life to look like them. And in Romans, Paul is writing to, again, there's, there's just this collaboration as we've talked about. There's some Gentiles, there's some Jews, there's some, some Christians now in this church. And, and Paul goes to address now the Jewish hero of their day. Uh, really, I would say the Jewish hero, uh, their hero still today, which was Abraham. And, and so coming off the heels in chapter 3 where Paul says, it is only through faith that you are saved, he brings a little bit of a dilemma now to the Jews. He brings this dilemma to the Jews because the Jews believed that Abraham was perfect. The Jews believed that because Abraham honored, or their thought was that because Abraham honored the law to a T, because he was perfect in all that he did, because he was successful in God's eyes, God then saw him as righteous. I'm going to throw a quote up on the screen from Chuck Smith. He says it this way. He says, if it was Abraham's works that brought him justification, then Abraham could boast in his works. He could say, I left my home, I left my family on the other side of the Euphrates River, and I journeyed, not even knowing where I was going, just waiting for God to show me. And I was willing to even offer my son. He could have boasted if he was justified by his works, but he could not have boasted in God. He would have had to boast in himself. So the Jews saw Abraham, Father Abraham. They saw Abraham as their he was the, the patriarch that all generations of the Jewish people, the whole nation of Israel, came out of. 
And their belief, and even what the rabbis of that day taught, was that he was perfect. Like before the law was even given, that he must have followed the law to a T. Because how else, or why else, would Yahweh, Creator God, credit this man as righteous? And what we see is if you go back into the middle books of Genesis in 12, 13, 14, around there, we see that long before the law was given, We'll talk about circumcision later. Long before circumcision was commanded from God, long before these acts of obedience were taken from Abraham, God gave Abraham a promise. And the promise was that through Abraham, uh, who at this point was, was a very old man, and Sarah was no spring chicken herself. They were, they were well past childbearing age. And they had no kids. And God tells Abraham, he says, Abraham, through your line, through your family, through your seed, you will have a son, and through that son, I will bless the nations. Through that son will come uh, the nation, and through that son will come the family line in which I will bless all people, which ultimately Jesus came through that line. And so long before, long before the law could be honored, God gave a promise, and as we'll see here in a second, the scripture, it was to this point that Abraham believed God. He trusted that what God said was true, trusted that even though it wasn't immediate, even though it would take years before this promise would come to, uh, to uh, fulfill itself, that I believed, Abraham said, I believed this, and to this point, God credited him as righteous. And if you read the story of Abraham, you'll see like he was by no means this saint. He was by no means perfect. He takes, uh, there's a famine that comes into the country and he takes Sarah, his wife, into Egypt and actually lies to Pharaoh and the Egyptians that Sarah was not his wife because at that time it said that she was beautiful and that uh, Abraham said, if they know I'm married, they'll want to kill me just to get to you. And so he said, tell them you're just my sister so that they'll give me great wealth and preserve my life. Right, so he sells out his wife to actually go live in the household of Pharaoh and then accumulates all of this wealth. God then uh, basically sets the record straight. And then he takes matters into his own hands as well because he and Sarah still aren't uh, having a child together. So they basically force Abraham on their servant. She gets pregnant, has a son. Sarah gets ticked about it even though it's her idea, and uh, then basically sends Hagar out into the wilderness with the boy to die, right? And so we see, if you look at the life of Abraham, what Paul is even alluding to a little bit is that Abraham was not perfect, right? Like Abraham did some pretty twisted things. He did some stuff that were pretty jacked up, but it was through his faith, it was through the belief that God would do what he said he would do that he was credited as righteous. Romans chapter 4, starting out in verse 4, says this. It says, Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. This is verse 3. We'll get to verse 4 in a second. Sorry. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. Verse 4. If you are a hard worker and do a good job, you deserve your pay. We don't call your wages a gift. But if you see that the job is too big for you, that it's something only God can do, And you trust him to do it. You could never do it by yourself, no matter how hard or long you worked. Well, that trusting him to do it is what gets you set right with God, by God, a sheer gift. Paul writes here, in essence, he says, if you go and work 
Like at the end of the week, if your boss comes into your office and he gives you an envelope and it's, and it's registered, you know, and he marks it and says, you know, gift on the front, and you open it up, and you're so excited, you can't imagine how much of a bonus is going to be in there, and you open it up, and it's just your normal Friday paycheck. You would think, this is not a gift. Or like, I earned this. I worked for this. I showed up all week. This is not a gift. But Paul says, if you then... And some other uh, translations will say that because Abraham uh, believed God, it was credited to him as righteous. And Paul will say, if you then earn or receive what you do not deserve, or what you did not work for, because you trust God to do what you could not do, that is what credited Abraham as righteous. The word credited was the word uh, legizomai, and it's this bank term that meant to deposit or credit into one's account. It was this idea that if my son and I have a bank account that are joined together, and my son's got $5 in his bank account, if I then go and, and take $500 from my account and I transfer it over to him, I would legizomai or credit his account was something that he did not work for, something that he did not earn, but it would be this sheer gift of me crediting his bank account with something. And as Paul will say, it's a sheer gift. And he uses this analogy to say, I, God credited Abraham as righteous. Why? Not because he was perfect in the law, not because you think that he always measured up, not because you think that he was successful, but because I gave Abraham a promise, and because he was willing to step into that promise and believe that promise, God gave him that which he would never be able to earn. The Jews were thinking that we can earn our way to God. And what Paul's saying is your hero, the one who you're trying to model yourself after, even he didn't earn his way. Why? Because it is only through faith. If you're taking notes, this is the main point that everything's going to kind of sum up into this morning it's this that our salvation the ability to be approved by god is a gift there's nothing you did or can do to earn it we'll leave that slide up for just a second our salvation the ability to be approved by god is a gift there's nothing you did or can do to earn it i started thinking about this this week this idea that if it was something that we could earn if somehow salvation, if somehow this uh, eternal living with God is something that I could work for, then one day when we stand before God in heaven, one day when we are in the presence of the Almighty, we would then stand there and think, I deserve to be here. We would look at God and His glory. We would look at the angels who are bowing down and worshiping and saying, yeah, yeah, but I earned this. I deserve to be here. And that idea uh, and that thought of thinking, gosh, when we are in the presence of God, like, guys, God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us jack. And, and to think that somehow that my earning it, to think that somehow that I can prove myself to God and I can stand before His throne and say, yeah, yeah, but look at all that I did. Look at how perfect my life was. I deserve to be here. And to think the angels and the creatures, the heavenly beings, man, they, they are throwing themselves down at God's feet right now in this moment, worshiping Him. And His children, 
Somehow we've gotten warped in our belief and mind to think that it's something that I do, something that I can earn to get there, and realizing it is this gift that you can't earn it, that you don't deserve it, that it is purely through this gift of salvation that we are made right with God. Verse 9. He says, do you think for a minute that this blessing is only pronounced over those of us who keep our religious ways and are circumcised? Or do you think it possible that the blessing could be given to those who never even heard of your ways, who were never brought up in the disciplines of God? We all agree, don't we, that it was by embracing what God did for him that Abraham was declared fit before God. Verse 10. Now think. Was that declaration made before or after he was marked by the covenant rite of circumcision? That's right, it was before that he was marked. That means that he underwent circumcision as evidence, excuse me, as evidence and confirmation of what God had done long before to bring him into the acceptable standing with himself, an act of God that he embraced with his whole life. Paul says, so do you think that it is still your religious ways? Do you think that it is still your good deeds? Do you still think it's the way that you perform before God that you are made right before God? And he says, no. He says, rather, and we'll see here in a minute, rather, it was the, uh, the, the faith and the belief in God that then drives our deeds and acts of honor and obedience before God. And it's important to know this too. So, so, so Paul's writing, it, it was not circumcision, it was not honoring the law where Abraham was made righteous, it was through faith. Then why all this talk about circumcision? Why all these, these references to circumcision? What does that even mean? And it's important to realize that, that circumcision was like the wedding ring on the covenant between God and Abraham. When I put this ring on my finger... If I put it on, like when I, when I got it and made sure it fit before me and Grace got married, this ring is not what made me married. Even though leading up to it, I probably wish it would have sped the process up a little bit. But when I put this ring on, this isn't what made me married. But rather, when I stood before God and said my vows of commitment to Grace, and I stepped into this lifelong covenant with her, we then put these rings on our finger that is nothing more than this symbol, that is this symbolic act that we then step into together that says, yes, I am married. I wear this ring as evidence that I am in covenant with my wife. I wear this ring to, to let, uh, it's a reminder to myself maybe driving down the road as you fiddle with it. It's a, it's a reminder to others that I come in contact with. It is a symbol of covenant. Likewise, in our faith down here in the South, we can sometimes, I think, fall into the belief that like, well, I got baptized when I was younger, so I must be good. And likewise, baptism is a symbol. It is this act of obedience to God after we say yes and begin to follow him. And so circumcision for Abraham, circumcision was the wedding ring that was placed on the covenant. After God and Abraham stepped in uh, to covenant and this promise that through Abraham would be the blessing, God then asked him to go and circumcise himself in his camp. Praise God that we now wear wedding rings and circumcision is not a part of the wedding ceremony. But it was the symbol, it was the ring in a sense on the covenant. It was not what made Abraham righteous before God. 
The Jews believe it is our works, it's going to church for us in the south, it's showing up on a Sunday and checking our box, it's, well, I got baptized when I was a kid, well, I helped serve a little bit on Sunday mornings with the kids, and what Paul's saying is that does not make you right before God. Rather, those are symbols of obedience. Those are, are, are things that follow our act of faith. Those are things that come after our decision to say, yes, Jesus, I am following you. If we believe that our religious acts here in the South are what save us, we are missing it and we are far-fetched. Because it is not what we do. Over and over, Paul keeps bringing this up, that we are made right by believing and trusting God, not in our religious ways. Verse 13, he says, The famous promise God gave Abraham that he and his children would possess the earth was not given because of something Abraham did or would do. It was based on God's decision to put everything together for him, which Abraham then entered when he believed. If those who get what God gives them only get it by doing everything that they are told to do and filling out all the right forms properly signed, that eliminates personal trust completely and turns the promise into an ironclad contract. That is not a holy promise. That is a business deal. A contract drawn up by a hard-nosed lawyer and with plenty of fine print only makes sure that you will never be able to collect. But if there is no contract in the first place, simply a promise and God's promise at that, you cannot break it. Verse 16, this is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God in his way and then simply embracing him in what he does. God's promise arrives as a pure gift. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it. I want to read verse 16 one more time. Underline this, star this. This is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God in His way. And then us, then we, simply embracing Him in what He does. God's promise arrives as a pure gift. That is the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it. It is only through us trusting God. It is only through us saying, God, this is what you say. This is what your word says. This is what you are asking me to step into obedience. This is what you command. And he says it is simply embracing that. It is simply embracing that and what he says and what he does that gets us right. Verse 17. I'm going to read the first part of 17 and skip down to the first part of 18. It says, we call Abraham father, not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Verse 18, when everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you are going to have a big family. When everything was hopeless, God believed Abraham anyway, not believing on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. We are not good enough. Our religion, our good acts, our desire to impress God and others will never be enough. I started thinking through, was able to get this uh, rosary 
at the church in Canaan where Jesus turned uh, water into wine. And, and for the Catholic people, this rosary, they, they believe that when, when there is sin, when there's been wrongdoing in their life, they'll go to the priest and the priest will say, well, you need to go rattle off a certain amount of prayers. And so they'll hold this rosary and they'll count bead after bead after bead as they say their Hail Marys, as they say these other prayers. And their belief is that if I sit here and, and pay my penance through these prayers, if I am able to sit here and mark off one, two, three, four, five, up to ten or twenty, or, or depending on what my sin was, once I complete this task, then I'll be made right with God. Once I, I, I say through these prayers and I can mark it off and I can check it off the list, this is what will bring me right standing back with God. Uh, Brian and Sadie, they're out on uh, their pilgrimage time uh, on the Camino. And the Catholics believe that this pilgrimage on the journey of the Camino, that somehow through the suffering, somehow through the, the turmoil that your body will go through in traveling this trail, that at the end of it, then I will be made right with God. Because somehow I've got to suffer through to, to be able to, to have right standing with God. Brian texted me this morning. He said, man, we just finished this morning. We traveled 243 kilometers. And if you are not a metrics uh, fluent like myself, I had to look that up. That's 150 miles that they have walked. In the last week or so, they have traveled 150 miles on foot. And he said, God, if you only knew how sore my ankles and my feet and things were. But for the Catholic people, they believe that if we go and suffer, I put my body through turmoil, somehow then God will see me uh, as righteous and fit. One of the other things that, and the other religions that, that we saw even in Israel is that Jews believe, this is a prayer shawl. So the Jews believe that somehow through this prayer shawl, when I, when I put this over my head and when I, when I step into prayer, that somehow this piece of fabric enhances my prayers to God. They believe that, that when I place this thing over me and begin to pray, that somehow this uh, like magnifies my voice to God and He will listen to me greater. And there's so many references, guys, whether it would be another uh, religion or whether it even be acts and things that we believe in our own faith. Paul says there is no amount of rosary prayers there is no amount of walking on a trail. Some of you guys think, hallelujah, praise God, we don't have to travel long distances. There's no amount of prayers with this piece of cloth, as beautiful as it may be, that will bring me any closer to the feet of Jesus and the Holy Spirit already offers us through Jesus. And Paul says, it is not through anything Abraham did. Your role model, the guy that, that, that you model yourself after, he did not earn anything. But it is rather when we humbly come before God, as we bowed even to start, it's this idea that, that I, there, there's nothing I will ever do. But rather, when I humbly come before God, when, when I lay myself down, and say, God, I, I recognize that, that I am not good enough. I recognize that I cannot do this on my own. I recognize that I will never be able to live up to your standards. 
We realize, God, you don't owe me anything. When I get to glory one day and I get to finally see your face and I get to to bow in your presence with you, far be it for me to think that I did something to deserve to be there. But we humbly say, Jesus, I believe in what you did for me. Jesus, I repent. I I am turning away from the life that I walked when when I was uh, feeding the desires of my flesh, when I was selfish in my ways, when I was just wallowing in sin that leads to death. Jesus, I am turning away. I'm leaving that behind me to now face you. And I repent and I surrender to you. I believe, Jesus, that what you came to do thousands of years ago on that cross really was to justify me before God. Paul says, when we align ourselves with that truth, when we realize that there is no amount of good deeds, no amount of obedience, no amount of works and religious acts that we will do, but it is through faith that says, Jesus, I believe that what you did was for me because I needed it. Because you don't owe me anything. You don't owe me eternity and restoration with Creator God. Paul says that is what credits you. That is what God then deposits into your eternal account as seen righteous and approved before God. But what if my faith is small, right? What if maybe we're, we're new to the faith? What if, what if I've even been walking with the Lord for some time now and I think, yeah, but my faith just feels weak. What if it feels like it's insignificant? Matthew 17, 20 says that the faith the size of a mustard seed. I think we have a picture of how small a mustard seed actually is. Look at that. Jesus looks at the people and says, if you've got faith that small, something that that is almost uh, invisible if I were to hold it up here, if you have faith that small, he said, we can do something with that. He said, I I don't need you to, to have it all together. I don't need you to have this mountainous trust and faith in me. But if you give me just a little bit, he said, the mustard seed then grows into one of the, the biggest and strongest and most beautiful trees in the garden. If you just give me a little bit, and you begin to trust me with a little bit. Charles Spurgeon says that, dear brothers, he says, little faith will save you if it be true faith, but there are many reasons why you should seek an increase of it. There are many reasons why you should seek an increase of it. So we ask the question then, okay, how do I grow in my faith then? How am I strengthened in my faith to go from this tiny little seed to a tree that has roots and has depth and has branches where fruit begins to be formed? James chapter 1 tells us that it is through uh, testing and challenges that we are strengthened in faith. Three things that we're going to see here. Number one is that through tests and challenges. And we think, gosh, man, I... (laughs) Couldn't have started out with a little bit easier one, right? But, but through tests and challenges and this idea of that even as we look back in Malachi a couple months ago, and the prophecy of Malachi was that one is coming that is going to refine you. He is going to cleanse you with the strongest soap. He is going to sit down like a refiner at the fire, and he's going to heat up the metal so the impurities come to the surface, and he's going to clean them off so what? So that the Creator's reflection is seen. 
And we see that tests and challenges aren't fun. I don't think any of us are standing in line, uh, raising our hands, wanting to step into a challenge of some sort. But the invitation from James is that don't resent, don't resist the times when God places a challenge in front of us. Because he says what happens in these challenging times, what what happens in the sharpening of our sword in this, is that our faith is strengthened. And in the faith being strengthened, we create, there's this uh, deeper perseverance that is created within us. So that as we continue to walk through the journey of life, and that mustard seed then begins to have a little bit of a sprout. When the wind blows for the first time, we've got a little bit of root to, to hang on. And then God's going to bring another challenge our way. And those ro- uh, roots get a little bit deeper, and, and the tree begins to form a little bit of a trunk, and we can withstand a bigger storm. And over these tests and over these trials and in the pruning and in the refining, that tree's roots gets deeper and deeper and the branches are able to absorb more moisture and the fruit then begins to be bared. When there's these challenges and tests, don't resent them, but realize, no, this is God's love and his desire to strengthen you. Number two, We see that Abraham was not justified by his obedience, but that through his faith and through obedience, our faith is strengthened. We see that that Abraham obeyed God after the the, the covenant to to go and to be circumcised. We read the story to where Abraham then went uh, to, to offer even Isaac as a sacrifice to God through God's request. And we can read that story of Abraham and Isaac and this whole sacrifice and think, God, how morbid and how unloving are you to then basically tempt this guy, or not tempt this guy, but to try to trick this guy into thinking that he's about to have to sacrifice his kid. And if you study this, you've got to understand that Abraham had such a deep faith and belief that through Isaac, through the seed of Isaac, would become another child and another child in a family to where that would grow. So when Abraham, this is, this is incredible, guys. When Abraham went to go sacrifice Isaac, when God said, go offer me your son, Isaac was just a little boy. He had had no children. There was no offspring that had come from Isaac. And because Abraham's faith was so deep, believing that through his son that the nations would be blessed, it says that Abraham was willing to offer Isaac as a sacrifice because he knew even if God has to resurrect him from the dead, you have promised Yahweh, you have promised that the nations will be blessed through this boy. And there's been, there's been nobody born of his seed yet. So How could your promise come to fruition if you don't hold up your end of the deal? And it was through Abraham's willingness and obedience that he saw God provide the ram. He saw God make a way when there was no way out. He saw God do, as we read already, he saw God do what he could not do. And because he trusted God to do what he couldn't do, he was credited as righteous for us. God may be calling you out into things of obedience. He may be inviting you to take steps of faith. He may be asking you to do things that seem like there is this wall in front and I can't see the other side. And as with Abraham, we see that through obedience, we see God open up doors that we didn't know were there. And it strengthens our faith. James will write as well. He says, actually, it's, it's, it's faith, uh, or sorry, works without faith, obedience uh, without or sorry, faith without obedience is dead faith. 
So if we have faith, if we said, yes, Jesus, we believe in who you are, but then we don't follow it up with obedience, circumcision or the act of of the sacrifice with Isaac, if there's not obedience, James says your faith is dead. It's dormant. There is no life to it. But yet in our desire to honor and follow God, when we step into obedience, our faith is strengthened. Last thing, number three. Band, if you guys want to go ahead and head out as well. This idea of what needs to be circumcised. What needs to be cut out or cleansed from your life. For our faith to be strengthened. For the the fruit to continue to be produced on the limbs of our life. There, There needs to be things that are pruned. Things need to be cut out. There may be habits. There may be sin patterns. There may be things that, that we are continuously walking in. That God said, man, I need you to, I want you to cut that out. I want, I want to cleanse that from you. That is not bringing you any greater depth. That is not strengthening you at all. It's actually beginning to kill off a part of your tree in a sense. The Lord has been, has been on a, he and I have been on a journey since January Every couple months, he's just been showing me things like, we need to cut that out. We need to get rid of that. We need to sever that. We need to, to cut ties with that. We can clean that up a little bit more. And our faith and our freedom to even walk with Jesus is strengthened even more when we, when we listen to those invitations to eliminate, to cut things off, to prune things. Abraham was seen right before God as he believed the promise of God looking to the cross. Abraham was seen righteous before God as he believed that God would do something through he and Sarah that, that, that was uh, impossible. It looked like there was absolutely no way out. And I want to read this last passage that's the good news statement for us as we head into worship. Verse 25 says this, Abraham was declared fit before God by trusting God to set him right. But it's not just Abraham, it is us also. The same things get said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life, when the conditions were equally as hopeless. The sacrifice Jesus made us fit for God, set us right with God. Abraham looked to the cross and we get to look back on the cross. Paul says, because of Jesus, because of what Jesus did for us, when we look at the cross and we have faith and belief that what he did for us really happened and is the only way that we are made approved and seen fit before God, that is what credits all of us as righteous. That before we walk out of here today, as we're going to step into this time of worship, before we leave this place today, we have the opportunity to maybe for the first time come up here and just repent and say, God, I am turning away. I am placing my faith in you and what you did. And you can walk out of this room today for the first time credited as righteous before God. Like, man, what, a, what, a, what an opportunity that we can go about our life to be seen as righteous. Jesus didn't just come to, to save us, to get us to heaven one day. But as we see in Mark 1, he says, no, the kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus' invitation was that, that, king, that the, the, the presence and the kingdom of God would be here with us. And we get to walk out of this door, the embodiment of the kingdom of God. Little walking Edens. 
where the presence of God dwelt in the garden with man. We get to walk out of here in that presence with God. And so we're going to step into worship and communion now, and I would invite you guys, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus, find somebody. Step into that today and realize the freedom, guys, that comes from that. And maybe for some of us, we need to, 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 to spend some time praying, like, Lord, what are the areas that need to be cut out? What are some of the things that need to be severed? Uh, what are some of the things that, that need to be cleansed in me? What are the areas that you're leading me to step into in obedience? And so communion is open to my left and my right. Uh, and we just invite you guys, man, fix our heart and eyes as we worship now. So Jesus, thank you that we can rest in knowing that uh, we don't have to perform for you, that we can cease in our striving to impress you, that simply by saying yes to Jesus, uh, there is this freedom now as seen approved, as marked as sons and daughters, that your presence then resides with us and we are reconciled to you. So Lord, I pray as we step into this time of worship, you'll, you'll stir up the things that, that you want us to, to be honest with ourselves about, that maybe we need to deal with, and maybe we just need to repent. So Holy Spirit, please come in this time. Would you be honored in Jesus' name? Amen.